Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? Dolly Parton said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles, not only in the sense of fundamentals, but also in the ethical sense, the habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership, principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Well, hello there and welcome to Timeless Leadership. We're in our second season now of exploring principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty, and if you aren't yet subscribed to the Timeless and Timely newsletter where I regularly write about these topics, you can find it at TimelessTimely.com, also available on the link in my bio on my Twitter profile. Now, just so everyone's aware, we are recording the show live today here on Twitter Spaces. So if you hear any beeps or boops, it's not you, it's me. And we will be using the first half of the show to chat with our guest, Jeremiah Aoyang, and the second half of the show to get to listener questions and comments. So get those ready. And if you enjoy what you hear today, you can follow Timeless Leadership on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. This week, we're talking about adaptability. With so many leadership books and websites offering prescriptive formulas, you might think that there are rigid rules to being a leader or that leaders got where they did just by doing the same thing over and over again, following those formulas. But that ignores a critical aspect of leadership, and that's the ability to change as the world around you changes. Now, make no mistake, leaders need a strong vision, they need clear communication, and they need relentless implementation to achieve that success, along with dozens of other attributes. But if they ignore the changes to the world, the variations within the market, uh, even the shifting attitudes of their employees, they'll be left behind. And when you look at the extreme ends of the spectrum, we have those leaders who stay on a predetermined path and never change on one end, and then those on the other end who are forever chasing shiny objects. Now, if you're going to be responsive to change, you need to be ready for it. And that means understanding the difference in what's just a flash in the pan versus what requires you to rethink your plans. The future can be scary, but with the right guide, it's more understandable. Jeremiah Aoyang has always been a leader with an eye toward the future, particularly on the digital landscape. From the early days of Web 2.0 and the emergence of social media platforms, to the now bustling Web 3 and its many iterations like blockchain, 
cryptocurrency, NFTs, and distributed autonomous organizations, Jeremiah has had a finger on the pulse of change. Through Kaleido Insights, the research and advisory firm he founded, he takes the complexities of today's technology landscape and breaks it down into easily consumable bits of actionable insights. He's also a family man, a CrossFit zealot, Spartan trifecta finisher, and is a former professional jazz musician. Jeremiah, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Thank you, Scott. That's a wonderful intro. Thank you. Well, you've got my curiosity peaked. What instrument are you a proficient jazz musician on? Yeah, formerly proficient. I used to play jazz piano at hotels uh, during my university days, and I've also played in bands uh, playing brass instruments as well. Fantastic. Uh, but those days are a little bit uh, behind me now. You don't play anymore? I teach my young children, uh, but it's a very different role than performing. Well, you know, I mean, that's interesting because to me, uh, music and uh, analytics, music and math, um, seeing patterns, you know, this is so important. And, and what you do for a living is actually very much in line with uh, with jazz because you take an established pattern and then you kind of riff on it and you, you play with it and you see what works and what exactly. doesn't. Exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and also the performance arts uh, helped me to communicate these messages when I needed to speak to people in public or right here on Twitter spaces. That's fantastic. Well, why don't we go back a little bit because I don't know that uh, people that uh, maybe have recently discovered you really understand uh, your origins and uh, talk to us a little bit about how your career started and, and where you got the itch for what it is that you do. Thank you. So I've always wanted to be in tech, but I grew up in a rural area. So I moved to Silicon Valley as soon as I was able to do that. And I started off in uh, Web 2.0 space, I'm sorry, Web 1.0 space, which is the dot-com era. And I worked at a famous web hosting company. Uh, this is before cloud services called Exodus. And I wrote that up and I wrote that down. Uh, we had five stock splits in one year and then bankruptcy. Boom. So I saw a lot and wow. saw how the importance of business models were critical. And it started to formulate the ideas I had around um, the differences between fads, trends, and movements, which we can talk about in a bit. I, I then uh, moved on to other companies, and I was at Hitachi Data Systems during this time when we saw technologies emerge called blogs and RSS and podcasts. And I was one of the first uh, professional social media managers. I you know, created this job description and, and got promoted into it, with, and we launched our own corporate blog. I believe we were one of the first 10 companies in the world to do that, and it's still going. Yeah, Forrest Research saw what I did, and they hired me to be the fourth um, leg of a, uh, a chair in the Groundswell team with Charlene Lee, uh, Josh Burnoff, and Peter Kim. And I was there for a number of years, and then Charlene and I left and started the Altimeter Group, uh, also a founding partner there in the Web 2.0 space. Um, after that, I saw another trend emerge. And so the social media trend enabled people to get information from each other uh, by sharing it peer to peer. And then I saw another trend, and so did you, uh, which was the sharing or collaborative or gig economy or on-demand economy where people can get commerce from each other peer to peer. And I started crowd companies, and one of my first customers was you, Scott. Thank you for uh, believing in me uh, when you were, had the, the helm as the social media lead at Ford. And boy, did that movement ever change the transportation industry from there on out, as well as other industries. 
And here we are today. I'm at Kaleido Insights with my business partners, uh, Jamie Shemansky and Jessica Groupman, also uh, former Altimeter um, colleagues, and we're looking at new trends. And the, clearly the one that is uh, topic du jour is what we're calling Web 3.0 today. So that's uh, kind of a quick genesis uh, of my uh, background professionally. Well, that, you know, that's incredible, Jeremiah, because you, you look back at all of this and you look at every cusp of it from uh, the dot-com era to social media to collaborative economy and now to, to Web 3.0. In looking in retrospect, it all makes sense. You you can see the path laid out from one to the next, and how uh, iterative, uh, iteratively, uh, these things flow from one to the other. But when you're in the midst of it, when when you're when you're in the present and you're trying to look toward the future, you know, I, I just wrote about this in my newsletter today. The future is not certain. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. So explain to us how you as an analyst, as a trend spotter, as an advisor to businesses, how you actually discern between what's worth paying attention to and what isn't. Maybe it's it's a look at a difference between the fads, trends, and movements that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that's maybe we can start there. Then we can talk about the impacts of those. So there are three major things that we need to all be thinking about when we see patterns. And um, th- these three things will help us determine, is it a fad, which is short period, it could be months or quarters, or a trend, which could be quarters or years, or a movement, which is multi-year, if not multi-decade. And you want to understand where does something fit in those things for your particular industry. And every industry might be different because they move at different velocities. And the three major things to look at are societal impacts or factors. The other one is economic factors. And the third one is technology enablers. So societal, economic, and technology enablers. There's other models out there that are used by governments and militaries like the pestle framework but i boil it down just to those three it's enough to actually make movements on so let's take for example societal uh changes so we saw the rise of the sharing economy people um many of them were focused on sustainability this was right after there was um real hardship in the economy uh and people really wanted to uh, connect to each other uh, physically and people were unemployed at that time there was a major job uh, loss the second one is the economic one. People needed to make money or their homes would be foreclosed or they needed to use assets uh, at cheap or they didn't want to own them. And the third one was technology enablers, the rise of mobile apps, location-based data, social profiles, uh, payment systems on apps. So when you see that all three of those movements, uh, those factors, so, uh, societal, economic, and technology enablers were all green checks with multiple um, drivers under each it was clear that that was a movement that would span many years and decades, and it's still going on, uh, you know, the Ubers and the Airbnbs and the Lyfts and the crowdfunding and the maker movement. So that's a, a one way to look at the, the market. So, and and I'm, I'm totally there with you on this. Uh, and, and I found in my own, uh, my own experience in my career, uh, and, and certainly being part of a Fortune 10 company where they tend to be very conservative, you come out with these statements, with these projections. Even if you're looking at trends, even if you have the data, they tend to look at you with a bit of a, a cocked eye and a tilted head and, and wonder if it's really going that way. And I, th- I think it's, you know, partially just, uh, it, you know, it's hard to turn an, an aircraft carrier. Um, also just stuck in their ways and, and want to see proof 
before making a change. So how do you set it up to convince mm-hmm. leaders that uh, it is it is not just a trend that's happening, uh, you know, on paper, as it were. It, it's something they actually begin to need to think about their business models differently. Yes. So I'm preparing my speeches now for Web 3.0, and I'll be following the same process. And for each of those three major factors, I will have a slide or multiple slides with data points and graphs. So the societal ones, I can show um, preferences that people want to do different things or new behaviors or new changes in demographics. The economic one is a pretty easy one to draw. That data is, is quite readily available in every market. And then the third one, technology enablers, showing funding typically of the tech startups is critical. And once you put all those things together, they can start to see and form a model. Uh, and you and you just show them the data. They're smart leaders that they can figure out, okay, yeah, this is starting to happen. And when you put them all together in concert, they can understand. Um, the second thing to do is to show them that there's a power change. And in all of those movements, specifically social media, and the collaborative slash sharing economy, and now Web 3.0, there's this shift in power towards the people who use the technologies. And they're they're able to get what they need from each other rather than from centralized institutions. And when you say just like that without being um, aggressive, they in their mind say, oh, wow, I actually, I think we are a centralized institution. And now tech companies are enabling to get them to get whatever they want from each other oh my gosh, we're going to be bypassed. You just need to show them the data points and they can jump to that conclusion and then they're ready to say, okay, what do I need to do next? Yeah. So, so Scott, there's usually five questions that you have to get these executives to ask and then answer, typically in their own minds. The first question is, what is it? So definition and uh, key frameworks. The second is, why does it matter? The third one is, um, and, and once you get that past those two, the next ones rapidly unfold. The third one is how do I start within my company? And the fourth one is what are best practices? And then fifth, how do I integrate it into everything that I do? Well, when you put it like that. Oh, yeah, it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. that's great. Well, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jeremiah Aoyang, uh, the founder and uh, head of Kaleido Insights about uh, adaptability and leadership and why the changes that are going on around us are so important to take note of, not necessarily to simply jump at, but uh, certainly to uh, to to. to you know, kind of translate internally. Uh, these these five questions that Jeremiah just laid out are extremely important questions that leaders uh, might want to know. Uh, Jeremiah, I, you know, I I am a, um, a a historian as much as I am a futurist. I think any good futurist needs to rely on uh, existing examples. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you might use analogies or past mm-hmm. occurrences to help leaders understand how these things are going to play out. Sure. Yeah. Let's use those major movements that we were talking about. So the social media era, the the easy comparison was when the Gutenberg press emerged and then people were able to rapidly print at that time Bibles and then mass distribute them hopefully to those who could read. Well, that really wasn't the case. But the fact that information could readily be shared and created was key, but now was happening di- digitally. Uh, the second one with the, the sharing collaborative economy, that was Going back, hearkening back to the old days of the Times Square, the town square, where people would 
you know, have commerce directly from each other, neighbors to neighbor, farmer to farmer. And they could do that, you know, in one central spot. But now the central plaza was being done on an app, a marketplace that was something you would download. And now here we are in Web 3.0, where we're seeing essentially people are creating their own companies or creating their own currency by using cryptocurrency or their own digital assets like like real estate or other valuable things uh, just by using blockchain. And if I had to use that analogy, um, I would say, well, it depends on the scenario because it could be very threatening to, to leaders. But I, but, but I would say that a sign of an empire, you know, we could use the Roman Empire, was how far the coin traveled and was used in daily exchanges. And I believe most business leaders today would say, yeah, I get that. I understand Caesar's coin and how that was the, uh, uh, the, the moniker of the realm. That was the coin of the realm. And I'll say, well, yeah, I totally agree. But, but what would happen if the people were, were able to create their own currency very easily and they started to use it in between each other? Oh, it's almost as if they're creating their own empires peer-to-peer and they're using technology and if you're not participating, you're not part of that economy. Hmm. I'll just pause. I'll just pause. <laughs> let them think. Oh, wow. My realm just got upended. Now, it, historically, the, the thing that an, um, well, I'll ask you, Scott, what would an emperor, what would an emperor or prime minister or king do if they found out somebody was minting, uh, their own currency in the kingdom? Oh well, that's easy. They'd they'd have their troops go over there. They'd destroy the minting presses, the 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 the, the uh, uh, molds that they have of the coin, uh, and they they'd simply put them out of business, either metaphorically or physically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the difference is now they can't find these people, and sometimes it's done anonymously, and they're using peer to peer technologies. It's unstoppable, other than just trying to get regulators. To, to stop it. So they would be scratching their heads in frustration. Oh no, what do we do? And at that point, this is when you would introduce some of the other tactics that I discussed prior. And, and that's so interesting, Jeremiah, because uh, what, what we see here is a cyclical pattern emerging. Uh, human nature is constant throughout, and it's just a matter of identifying what the new enabling technologies are that uh, are, are furthering that, uh, that human nature. And, and seeing that, that uh, play out. So um, we are going to be getting to questions for Jeremiah in just a few moments, but we also have a special surprise uh, as we were just kind of uh, bumping up against the conversation of cryptocurrency there and of coins. Uh, Jeremiah has a coin of his own on the rally.io platform, uh, as do I, uh, and we each have a, a, a coin drop uh, for our listeners here if you're listening live. If you're listening to the recorded version, well, make sure you subscribe and uh, we'll, we'll send you something in, uh, in a DM. Um, but for those who are paying attention right now, Jeremiah, uh, I don't know if you can post a tweet to the top of the, uh, the space here. I don't seem to have the ability on my yes, uh, so interface. The, the way you could do that, Scott, is if you tweet out the link to your, um, your coin for the coin drop, then you can click on the tweet and there click the usual share button. And then from the share button, there's a small icon at the top with all the little dots, says adaptability and leadership, hit that, and then it will automatically emerge up here in the carousel, which they call the nest. Look at that. That's incredible. 
So I will do that. And while I'm doing that, uh, Jeremiah, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what a platform like Rally is doing and mm-hmm. why it's important at this juncture? Yes. So I'm an advisor to Rally. I've known the founder for over 10 years, Kevin Chu. And Rally is a is a Web 3.0 company that is enabling creators to build their own economies, just like what we talked about. And they can launch their own personal token and coin, which can be used with their fans. And this empowers the creator to uh, monetize directly with their own fans. And it gives them their self-sovereignty, like their own little empire. And they do not need to rely on other third-party platforms to monetize, like YouTube or um, or Twitch or Facebook, as we have seen in the news just this past week on the dangers of depending on another platform if they go down or data usage or if they um, shadow ban you so your content isn't seen because maybe you've done something to upset somebody at that company. You are dependent, you are beholden on those Web 2.0 companies. So cryptocurrency enables the people who use it to get what they need from each other. That's the, the key theme right here is technology's enabler for the people. And so we have creators on board, uh, such as you and I, that are using it to offer services or media or access to concerts, or they could purchase their digital art as NFTs using their own Rally NFT system, or they can access premium Discord servers if they hold a particular coin. It checks it at the um, the login using software, so it is... It is software, not just currency. And essentially, creators are now empowered to build their own economies. So they have self-sovereignty. They have ability to move from network to network. And they can have a direct relationship with their fans. So this is all of those trends that we just touched upon. And, and Rally's enabling that for those. Uh, just as a last bit, uh, so the perks I offer is you could use my coin to access my services, my time. I could promote your company if there's an editorial fit. I am going to be launching an NFT very soon of an image. I've uh, conscripted an artist who's going to be uh, paint, digitally painting something that I will sell, and there will be some perks that I will announce that you can access when you purchase an NFT. Oh, that is fantastic. So uh, I, I, I want to see if we can uh, just kind of ratchet this down a bit because I know there's a lot of there's a lot of hype right now around cryptocurrencies nfts the metaverse all things web 3.0 um, and and some people are kind of turning their noses up at it and saying oh it's just another um, you know kind of shiny object fad that people are chasing what, what's your sense Jeremiah because you you're you're really leveraging this or leaning into this pretty heavily what's your sense as to what the practical applications of some of these technologies are. Yes. So there is certainly hype and there's a lot of funding in the space and there's danger in this market too, because it's not fully regulated and there are back bad actors. Uh, so there are definitely risks involved in any new movement. We've seen this before and, um, for sure, this is happening where people are using, you know, crypto in, in order to develop their own little, groups and empires. So let me, let me just uh, share some evolution. So I'm going to be speaking to some executives that are coming to San Francisco and I sent this maturity questionnaire over to them. Uh, and level zero is not knowing anything about uh, blockchain or crypto. Level one is you might have a small investment in the space. Uh, two is you have a significant investment in the market and you're dabbling, uh, more than dabbling. 
Uh, the third one is you've launched your own social token or launched your own NFT. Um, the next level up could be you are actually creating content and launching your own currency or creating your own N- NFTs. And level five is you're participating in a DAO, D-A-O, Distributed Autonomous Organization. And I said to my friend uh, Dominique, who's the CEO of this organization coming over from another country, I said, what level are the attendees of these executives that are coming? And he said, level one, maybe two. So I said, okay, I know where to go. So, so that, that framework there on maturity helps to explain wh- where we are. So, um, I think folks in this room are, are pretty mature because I recognize some of the faces, but just to back up, um, for those that are purchasing crypto, you might be on level one or two and you're holding it as part of your estate or family estate or trading it or purchasing NFTs. Uh, if you're not familiar with NFTs, the most popular ones are CryptoPunks, uh, Bored Apes, and then there's some other ones out there. And brands are launching their own as well, like Marvel and Disney. Um, the the next level is actually creating your own currency. Like Scott and I have created our own social tokens using Rally. And Scott, I think you actually created an NFT as well, right? Um, you know, I, I haven't yet, but my goal is to actually create an audio NFT. You know, we see so yes. much artwork out there, and uh, I keep hearing from people that they like the mellifluous tone of my voice. So I thought, well, why not use that to my advantage and see if I can put an audio NFT together? Uh, hey, mm-hmm. let, let's let's get a reaction from the audience right now. Uh, hit, hit one of those uh, buttons there, whether it's hard or wave or whatever. Let me know what uh, what an audio NFT might do for you. So let's talk about that. So an audio NFT uh, through Scott's melodic, peaceful, soothing tones um, could be purchased and you could own his you know, voice and the message that it has. And Scott could also add utility if you own that NFT. You might be able to access a private Discord channel and community that he might offer. Or he might offer you a service where he might read something to you or your children, which he's done in the past, um, that's included as a perk. Um, Also, that NFT could change in value, up or down, probably up. And you could also resell that item as a... uh, for profit, potentially, uh, or trade it or gift it to somebody else. It becomes a digital asset that is traded on marketplaces. So that's just making it very pragmatic of how to become a participant and creator in Web 3.0. Is okay. that helpful? It is. It is. And when you think about brands and what they have the ability to do, what they can unlock for people, I mean, this isn't too different from how we've traditionally thought of loyalty programs, only now the uh, the the ability to enter is uh, simply controlled by a different kind of uh, gating system. That's true. So the cryptocurrency or tokens can be is akin to a loyalty system, or you reward your customers for engaging or participating the tokens, and then you give them perks and access to numerous things that are already available. For example, like, um, every brand can build their own version of American Express loyalty program, uh, including access to premium experiences and lounges. Okay. Um, the NFT, go ahead. No, go right ahead. The NFT is similar, but also there's some variants where we're seeing companies like Coca-Cola who have launched their own NFTs and you can purchase a virtual jacket and other items from them and you could own it and get access to perks. And some of the money that was generated was actually 
given back to charity. So somebody did buy the virtual Coca-Cola jacket from them, and it was over $500,000 for a non-physical good. And I actually did the math that it would actually be equivalent to 41 Coke trucks filled to the brim. Uh, that's how much this fan purchased uh, without actually even purchasing the physical products, but in in a related uh, crypto virtual experience. That's incredible. And, well, hey, Coke operates in the happiness realm, so I'm sure that brought them some great happiness when they acquired it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we're going to get to questions for Jeremiah. So if you have something that you'd like to say, if you uh, have a question for Jeremiah, simply uh, raise a hand and let me know. We'll bring you up to the microphone here. Um, Jeremiah, as you think about um, th- this notion of of things being non-fungible, things being intangible, um, are there examples in history? Are, are there other things we can point to? Because it seems like a really abstract concept for leaders to get their heads around as, as to say, well, why would I uh, go about granting access to something that doesn't even exist in the real mm-hmm. world? Yes. So um, it depends where we're talking at. Um, sometimes people say, what is Bitcoin or Ethereum based off? I don't understand, you know, quote, proof of work and some of the technical aspects. And you could also remind them that the U.S. dollar is no longer backed by gold. It's backed on the trust of the, the government and the, the stability of the United States. So we've actually already gone through that change that it's not based on a physical item. It's just paper. And actually, in most use cases today, it's just numbers on the Internet. So that's one way you could broach that discussion. The second one is to say, look at the social media team. They're creating tremendous value by, you know, creating branded content for our consumers to interact with. It's not tangible, it's not physical, but there's certainly value because they're bringing customers closer, they're responding to customer requests, they're closing customer support tickets. Each of these has associated dollar values in terms of potential revenue or revenue reduction costs or customer satisfaction. And that is the the closest way to bring them towards that. The the next one is to explain how the physical companies are now becoming digital companies and offering virtual goods. For example, let's take Disney and they own Marvel. Uh, The largest, you know, entertainment uh, empire in the world is Disney. And they're taking their physical comics, uh, the pulp ones made out of those things called trees And they're now making digitized versions available for purchase where the customers are buying them as NFTs and they're spending thousands of dollars, tens of thousands. Um, One of our mutual friends, um, Dan, um, purchased the Marvel number one um, for a few thousand dollars. It's now worth $40,000. He is a smart business person and collector. Wow. Yeah. It's part of his family estate now. And that's and this is only the first month. So imagine the value in a year or ten years. And he's going to hold it. That's going to be incredible. All right. It, well, it is. We've mm-hmm. got uh, we've got a couple of hands up in the audience. So uh, let it, let's bring up. Um, looks like Blurry uh, is uh, joining us up here. Blurry, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Good afternoon, Scott and Jeremiah. I have a very quick question, which is, this is such a great interview, 
and somebody that I really want to understand um, about NFTs in an interesting business. I how do I get this recording as a replay to give to someone else that I think will benefit? Oh, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it, Blurry. Uh, this will be appearing on the Timeless Leadership Podcast link. If you go to uh, the link in my bio there in Twitter, that'll bring you over to TimelessTimely.com, and you'll see the Timeless Leadership Podcast listed as one of the sub-publications there. Uh, it's also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, anywhere you get podcasts. So uh, you can just search for Timeless Leadership there as well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. This is Blurry, and I'm signing out and looking forward to all the great things in the future. Fantastic. Appreciate that question. Uh, we are talking with Jeremiah Aoyang, analyst and uh, industry leader about adaptability and the importance of understanding the changes in the world around us. Uh, we've got Beverly, who is joining us up here next. Beverly, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Thanks, Scott. Hi, Jeremiah. Yeah, I just love this, this rally coin. And of course, on Clubhouses where I've seen uh, Jeremiah and uh, Gary Henderson's real big over there, too. And, you know, just learning from him, he's like, okay, here's my coin, go buy it. So I bought one. So that is my rally coin, just to have it and to learn more about it. And my question would be, as I just learn about this um, 3.0 and I was listening to Gavin James Wood the other day, and he was talking about um, cryptocurrency and, you know, Ethereum and then going over to Polkadot and just this whole idea of decentralization of how we're going to trade in the future. And um, my question would be, he was saying something like eventually it will be where um, the average consumer will not need to worry about a digital wallet, will not need to really learn about Rallycoin or cryptocurrency or Ethereum or how it works. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there will be those that do understand, you know, and just governance is so important. So that would, you know, what do you talk a little bit about that? Like what governance structure really look like for this? Thanks. This is Dr. Beth. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Bev. So two great questions and points in there. The first one around it just becoming a easy way to uh, do transactions in e-commerce. I think that will happen, but it's going to take time. Like trying to get somebody to set up an Ethereum wallet, purchase crypto, put it in there, safely ensure they don't purchase a scam, uh, buy NFTs, manage it in a wallet and not have any risks of security and, you know, putting your crypto or your NFTs in a cold storage wallet. All of that stuff is foreign. Uh, but going back 15 years, Scott and I used to have to give lessons to executives on how to use blogs and RSS and feed readers and what are those things I just said. They, they just didn't understand that. Then Twitter came around. So we had to go through a lot of education. And, and now everybody is just using these things uh, very intuitively. Uh, perhaps they should give more care to the things they post, but that's a whole nother topic. So it's going to be a process. And, and the tools right now are a, a bit disconnected and the UIs are not great and all the security woes. So 
it's going to take a number of years for this truly to become uh, mainstream. Yeah, I mean, th- that's a great point, Jeremiah. And, and Dr. Bev, I'm glad you uh, you mentioned Gary Henderson because he is so far ahead of so so many other people on this. And, uh, you know, he said that the average consumer uh, won't have a digital wallet. Well, right now, the average consumer doesn't even have a digital wallet. Um it, it's, you know, we're going to have to wait maybe a generation or so, at least a technology generation or so, uh, before mm-hmm. this actually becomes widespread. Because let's face it, there are executives, there are companies, there are individuals who are just beginning to understand Web 2.0 <laughs> right now. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have a ways to go. Um, the second question that Dr. Bev brought up and you know, Scott, feel free to chime in, please. Uh, you have incredible insights. This is around governance, she was asking. And, and Dr. Bev, I, I believe you're asking, like, how will groups organize or who will make the decisions? It, well, in this market, there's far fewer standards and there's not really a, a complete clear governing body on how this will happen. So, the crowd in many cases will decide. But with that said, there are some groups that are defining some of the standards. For example, Twitter themselves is integrating crypto because Jack Dorsey believes in Bitcoin and he owns Square. And also Twitter will be verifying NFT profiles like Bored Apes or CryptoPunks. If you have it on your profile, they'll actually give you a verification mark by checking your wallet if you actually own it. Uh, so we'll start to see some standards emerge there. And of course, if they do it, Facebook will follow uh, and other groups as well. So we'll start to see some patterns emerge from the traditional players. I think that's fantastic. Well, the more we see it, I think the more it'll begin to catch on, uh, just as we saw with uh, social media. And that's one of the reasons I joined Ford when I did in 2008. It was early on in the days of uh social. Uh, Certainly blogs had been happening by then, but Twitter and Facebook certainly weren't mainstream. Uh, And I kind of foresaw that by 2010, uh, that would become mainstream, Ford's technology would become more advanced, and there would be this kind of lightning point where the two met, uh, and uh, there'd be a great success. So fortunately, that all worked out. I don't know if I could script it any better than it it was, but it worked out at the time. So Dr. Bev, thank you again for uh, those great questions. Next up, we have Andrew Kornblatt. Andrew, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Um, I was wondering about, uh, with cryptocurrency, I've been reading a lot about the external costs of uh, cryptocurrency, such as like the uh, greenhouse gases that are involved in the actual generation, heat stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Do we feel that in the future those uh, prices are going to be incorporated into the value or devaluation of these different currencies? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. I was looking at your bio before you were speaking, so I had a feeling you would bring up those excellent points. Um, so, Andrew, there there's two things to note when it comes to cryptocurrency and uh, emissions. One is some cryptocurrencies are generating incredible carbon emissions because they're com- they're computing uh, problems in order to win the chance to quote write a block, which means you're rewarded with Bitcoin, and that's called proof of work. And that is very, very costly to the environment and just the e-waste from physical matter as well. The second one is called proof of stake, which means do you own something? And there's less or little computational energy that has to be expended in order to achieve that. And right now, many of the networks are shifting towards that 
in order to reduce the load. Uh, so it is a known concern. There, there are also, to your point, there are carbon offset tokens uh, and cryptocurrencies emerging, which the egregiously offended networks, blockchain networks should purchase and, you know, contribute back to society. Of course, I think you and I might have opinions that that's really not fixing the core issue. That's just, you know, taxes for sinning. So there needs to be more work done. Now, in particular, there are some websites um, or services, blockchain services like Rally and others that are on what is called a side chain, which is kind of a dedicated location and server where the transactions are not happening on the main blockchain network, which is called the main net. And this is uh, reducing the amount of energy usage because it's basically like an e-commerce site like uh, Amazon or eBay or, you know, a Google store. It's around the same energy usage as just e-commerce. And that's uh, our coins are on that right now. But as it connects to the main net, which is inevitable, yes, there will be greater energy usage because every single um, you know, ledger is going to be updated in a network effect. So there's that needs to be resolved and solved. It's it's not something that I know how we're going to fix that. The last point, Andrew, that I'll bring up is the NASDAQ did a research report, and you can anybody can Google this, to compare the energy usage of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies versus gold mining, like in Africa, and the treasury system, U.S. dollars plus banking and commerce. And at this time, cryptocurrencies is less energy consumptive than gold mining or the traditional banking system. But of course, the the amount of transactions or, or usage is still smaller. So I, I hope that's um, a good answer and overview of, of what's happening in the space. There are certainly problems to be fixed, but smart people are going to work on them. I think Thank that- you so much. Thank you, Sorry. Andrew. No, that's great. Um, and, and Jeremiah, you, you raise a good point here. There are opportunities that now are emerging, uh, things that are a side product of uh, this new Web 3.0 that perhaps can be more you know, more interesting. Because if people aren't necessarily interested in um, you know, mining their own cryptocurrency or forming an NFT. Well, maybe they're interested in sustainability issues and they need to take the sustainability industry in that direction. Uh, there are all kinds of implications here for industries that will be touched, whether or not they participate directly in the Web 3.0 economy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so there's actually um, my friend Jeremy is working on a blockchain project where they will put sensors around the world to track emissions and the data would be shared on a blockchain. So it can actually be used to help combat carbon emissions because we, we can now have globalized data. So there are ways it can be used. So that's Jeremy, Jeremy McCain, M-C-K-A-N-E. So there are ways to use these same technologies for the greater good. That's fantastic to know. Well, if you're just tuning in, this is Timeless Leadership. We're talking with Jeremiah Aoyang on changes that leaders need to be adaptable to and how to get there. Uh, Next up as a speaker, we have E-Maximalist. Welcome to Timeless Leadership. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Hi, Jeremiah. We spoke before about the uh, economic models in crypto and the hypercapitalism. Uh, I don't know if you remember me, but yeah, I do. I I uh, I want to talk a little bit. Go back to what we talked about onboarding people to crypto. 
I think that's extremely important. Um, I think that that is a big barrier right now. And a lot of times people forget, you know, the pain that they had when they were going through setting up their first wallet or using Uniswap for the first time or even OpenSea. And I think that it's really important that we are good stewards of crypto and we're, we're helping educate people that we know in our media lives. I've already onboarded at least 10 people into cryptocurrency who would have never got into it otherwise. They're older. They don't really understand technology, but I walked them through it and I helped them set everything up. Um, but with that said, I heard somebody saying that, you know, in the future people won't know how to set up their wallets or they won't even have any knowledge of that process. Um, they'll just, you know, use it in their daily lives. I kind of, I'm a little bit weary about that because I feel like that takes away the custody and ownership aspect of cryptocurrency where people really truly own their assets and it's not giving away that, you know, control and uh, access to a third party. So I wanted to just maybe bring that up and see what your thoughts are on that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the, the, the main net, which is the, you know, setting up an Ethereum wallet and, and, trading crypto in the ways that you mentioned um, is daunting to the average person. Um, it's typically early adopters and there's certainly the data shows that the younger generations are adapting and adopting uh, cryptocurrency at a much uh, readier pace than older generations. Um, there are ways like for example, rally.io is really for creators and the general everyday fan to use it. And if you haven't seen rally.io, they've built a very clean interface um, and it's easy for people to use. And the the I actually spoke at Mainnet, which is a big crypto conference in New York, two weeks ago. And I pulled the room that I was speaking on with the rally crew. I said, "How many of you own cryptocurrency?" And every hand went up. Then I said, "How many of your moms own cryptocurrency?" And like three hands went up in in the room. And I said, well, my mom's on crypto because she uses Rally and she set it up very quickly. It's designed for everybody. Scott, um, do your parents uh, have your own coin? You know what, Jeremiah? They do not. Although I am the the sole uh, recipient of their own individual creator economy. They created me. They minted you. (laughs) Yes, so... You should probably reciprocate and send them some Monty coin. I should. And I'll tell you what, I have my kids set up on Monty coin. I, I granted each one of them so a, a bunch of it. And I said, hey, I, I want you to understand where the world is going. And the best way to do that is to begin to experiment a little bit. I'll get you started. Right? You can follow along each week as rewards go out. You can see what benefits there are. You can trade for other coins. You can find out what's interesting right. to you. Um, and they are beginning to, uh, my, my 15-year-old and 18-year-old are beginning to experiment with this. Our mutual friend Joseph Jaffe also has his family using his own coin, and his is the same sur- his surname, so it works well. Um, the back to the question from E Maximalist. The the other quick onboard is frankly NFTs, and it's easy for people to purchase them on Vivi. Vivi is an app you download and you use Apple Pay or Google Pay. It's it is using U.S. dollars. The advantage would be it's easy to onboard somebody. And um, it's already pre-tax dollars, so you don't have to worry about the, the complicated taxes that traditional NFTs have. And so when people buy those digital collectibles for the brands that they already love, that is a very fast onboard. And from there, uh, or from Rally, either of those two, they can quickly go to the main net and adopt and adapt. 
Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about Vivi, Jeremiah. I just pinned, mm-hmm. uh, I just added one of their pinned tweets because uh, in just a few moments, oh, yeah. they yeah, are, in a few minutes. yeah, talk about what's going on there. Oh, yeah. So history is going to be made in nine minutes. And I'm going to try to, to get, get it even during our call is they're going to be launching the first movie ticket as an NFT and it is the MGM is releasing the 007. Uh, what is the movie called? No time, no to, time die. to die. Yeah. And there will be seven total golden tickets like uh, Willy Wonka. <laughs> uh, you can try to get it. There will be, it's limited to Americans at this moment. There will be hundreds of thousands of users trying to get those seven tickets. And if you do get it, you're getting a piece of history because it's the first movie ticket that can be redeemed to take your friends to the event. But we think the resale value will probably be in the six figures, if not seven figures. Uh, my prediction is uh, Visa, who acquired a CryptoPunk for their digital museum, will probably acquire this piece as well because it's so historic in e-commerce. So VV makes it easy for everyday fans and collectors to get a piece of NFTs which are on crypto uh, and blockchain and eventually they're going to open it up to the main net in the next few weeks and connect it to OpenSea. It's incredible. I mean, you're, you're taking what is already an interest. You know, the Bond fans are legion and uh, they are fierce and uh, will, will purchase crazy things, whether it's a gadget from the movie, a first edition of the book. Uh, this is right in line with that. And it's, it's not that different from things like comic book collecting and baseball card collecting and, and other physical things that we've known throughout our lifetimes. It's just now we've, we've got an NFT version for mm-hmm. collectors. So, Scott, there's three types of NFT communities. Could I share that with the crew here? Please. Okay. So the first kind, I call them the NFT innovators. And those are the, the folks that are making their own universes or universe, universe I. Um, so like Bored Apes, Crypto uh, Punks, um, Lazy Lions, they're, they're actually constructing their own worlds and their own icons and they use their, their, their profile photos with the NFT they purchased. It's a form of a, a tribal banner if you will, but they're building, they're leaning in and creating. They're even creating DAOs, distributed autonomous organizations, which are essentially like companies where the equity is distributed amongst the participants and those who hold the NFTs. And they can even generate revenues um, called um, rewards or staking and actually sell other services and products as the value of the whole collection and the collective increases. So that's um, the first group is the innovators. The second group I call the enhancers, and they are purchasing NFTs to improve, in many cases, their video game experience. So they want to buy skins for their character or a weapon, or they want to just save time and advance to the next level or purchase armor or even purchasing uh, virtual real estate in metaverse locations. So those are the NFT enhancers. And the third community is the NFT uh, fan collectors. And those are the folks in VV who are falling into an existing universe, whether it's Marvel, DC, or um, Comedy Central has their own shows there. And you're collecting existing characters or items from the show like James Bond. Uh, no, no community is better than the other. They're different. And in many cases, they will have overlap and crossover. The, the area that I see all three of them that they're going to combine and merge is in the metaverse which is a virtual 
the virtual worlds that we're seeing and, and they will start to all meet there, whether they create those uh, worlds or they fall into an existing one that is created and crafted by Disney remains to be seen. That's incredible. So, I mean, we've seen glimpses of the metaverse before. We've seen Second Life uh, back in the mid to late aughts. Um, this seems like it's just another version of that. Uh, how how are we realistically going to get people to um, tear away from their other apps, whether it's a social app or uh, the mobile web, to spend time in a metaverse now? Well, they're they're tied, and we'll see this gradual shift. I mean, the the largest Web two O company in the world, Facebook, their big push is in the metaverse. Once they get past their this, the problems this week that they're having. Um, <laughs> That's a whole other topic on leadership. Um, however, they they will shift into the metaverse. Also, gaming companies are all pushing towards the metaverse. Um, but it's not like we need to adorn a strange VR helmet that is antisocial and certainly not going to secure any dates uh, if you're single. But but it's but we can actually access the metaverse through our mobile devices or a tablet or a um, just from our laptop. It's not some far-fangled device we need to throw over our heads. Um, there's many ways to access it. Well, and when you think about where it actually appears, we, we see so much conversation about VR when really the, the stepwise approach into this may be AR, uh, augmented mm-hmm. reality. And you think about the intersections of the metaverse and, and AR applications. You know, when you're out there in the real world and you, you hold your phone up to a physical object, what's it adorned with? How can you be identified as a member of that tribe uh, by showing your phone with the augmented reality uh, NFT in it, so to speak? Yes, that's um, absolutely right. And and most of the the NFT assets in VV have an augmented reality component where you can use your phone and, and make a display in your living room and you could walk around that virtual item. And my kids love that. We've done that with a number of the, the characters that they found were cute. And they some of them have animation, like the DeLorean and the, the James Bond glider. And, you know, I put the Star Trek Enterprise up in, at the park and they're walking around that. So that is one way to, to venture as the worlds merge amazing well there's so much out there to be aware of so much that we need to uh you know just kind of take in as we as leaders need to Mm -hmm. adapt to all of this change that's going on around us and and jeremiah you are there as our as our digital sherpa guiding through uh, uh, all of this so thank you my pleasure thanks scott if people want to find out more about you and what you do what's the best way to do that jeremiah you can find me uh, on Twitter, Jay Ao Yang, and I tweet several times a day about what are the trends happening, and then I'll link to things like on my blog or to the websites that I'm interacting with. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being on Timeless Leadership. Thank you, Scott. While the future is uncertain, knowing more about our past and present help ground us in the movements that are just starting. With a spirit of awareness and adaptability, you can be ready for the future, whatever it brings. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership, whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more. For you are a leader. <laughs>